If you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Many of you know that uh, a few weeks ago, well, I guess it's been, what, two weeks ago, maybe? I don't know. We we had to cancel church because of the weather. And that was a very difficult decision uh, that I had to make. But to be perfectly honest, the safety of our people is is important. And um, but as I as I sat there that morning trying to decide what to do, praying like crazy, I remembered something that happened probably 12, 15 years ago uh, when my family and I were living in uh, North Carolina. Uh, we lived in a small town, uh, Lattimore, North Carolina. I'm sure you've never heard of it. Um, it, it is just there. It is uh, 350 registered voters in town. That's how big it is. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I remember, and I worked. I, I I not only lived there, but I actually worked in that little town as well. And one day on my way to work, there were there were two stop signs between my house and work. And I got to the second stop sign. And, and it was the main street through town, if you, you all know what I'm talking about. That's where the post office and the barbershop was, okay? That's all we had, a post office and a barbershop. Anyway, I came up to the second light, and I actually had, I actually had to stop because nobody in the town ever stopped at stop signs because nobody was ever there. And I had to wait for three cars to go by. And I, I, I literally sat there and thought, what? Is this town coming to? I about had a meltdown because I had to wait for three cars. Seriously, though, in our town of, I don't know how many people live there. Um, We'll say 600. I I, I honestly don't know what the population was. But in our little town was a lady. uh, I don't know, Ashley, can you help me with her name? The, the, the The iron lung lady? Okay, she was she was like I think the last surviving person with an iron lung. Do, do y'all do you know what an iron lung is? Like the sandwich, well, no, it goes way beyond that. It goes way back into the 50s. <clears throat> but she had polio, I think, as a child, and was put into this iron lung. You, okay, uh, those of you young people are looking at me cross-eyed. Um, I wish. <laughs> I wish I had gotten a picture of it. Um, Chris, can you see if you can find one? Um, uh, yeah, Martha Mason, yes. Well, be, because she lived in an iron lung, she was 100% dependent on electricity. Uh, if, the, if the power went out, uh, they had a backup generator, but that was only good for a short period of time. So... Any long extended period of, of a, a, last, a lack of electricity would mean her life. And um, so because of that, our little town at the time, she, she has since, since passed on. But at the time, <clears throat> because of her condition, the town that we lived in, as far as the electric company, we were the A1 highest priority uh, town. Does, does that make sense? So if, if, if power was lost, then 
our town was one of the first towns to get power in the whole state because of her. And <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> people kept moving. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> uh, but one about I don't know, it's twelve, fifteen years ago. <clears throat> uh, if you find it, Chris, let me know. Um, about 12 or 15 years ago, we had an ice storm. Y'all know what an ice storm is? It's where it rains for days, and then it freezes. And it was it was horrific. I, I am not exaggerating when I say there was there was four to five inches of ice on every road. You you could go nowhere. It, it was just it was horrible. Telephone poles were snapping like toothpicks. Uh, trees down. I mean, it was it was horrific. And we in our little town lost power. Uh, well, the whole <laughs> that whole region lost power, and we were without power for probably close to 12 hours when our power came back on. Uh, but but again, we were the only town within you know, however many miles that had power because of, oh, we got it. Okay, let's see. Let's see her. There you go. That's what an iron lung is. <clears throat> and that's how she lived uh, until she died. I think it was about, what, four or five years ago? Oh, nine. Okay. But uh, that from a, from a child till the time she died, that's, this is how she lived. Uh, but anyway, um, but because of that, we had power when nobody else around us had power and and we we thank it all to her um, but anyway <laughs> I know that sounds selfish but that's one time I was glad I was in that town um, anyway <clears throat> you can you can go ahead and take it away um, <clears throat> because we had power we had the ability to watch the news and you know obviously television and so <clears throat> we were watching the television, more specifically the news, trying to determine how bad this ice storm was. And, and as they, the more they talked about it, the more we realized the widespread effect that it had on the entire region. And <clears throat> living in North Carolina, you can imagine how many churches are in North Carolina. Literally... Uh, uh, in 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 the county that we lived in, uh, just the county, there were 150 Baptist churches just in our county. <clears throat> and uh, I don't think there's 150 churches in Nevada, <laughs> uh, let alone Baptist churches. So uh, as you can imagine, what what was happening during the newscast? Um, what what do they call that thing that runs across the bottom of the screen? Yeah, kind of like a ticker tape thing, you know, and it was just, <clears throat> it was Saturday night and we were sitting there watching the news and it's as fast as they could run it across the bottom of the screen, it w- it said this, sudden such a church closed, no power. And, and, and it was just one church right after another, right? Hundreds and hundreds of churches announcing that they were closed because they had no power. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but whenever I watch a program that has one of those things running, 
I tend to watch it and not what's on. It's almost hypnotic, you know. And so after 30, 40 minutes of watching the news, I'm I'm getting dizzy watching this. You know, such and such church closed, no power. Such and such church closed, no power. And then and then what happens? One comes through, and it was different than all the rest. It said, Sunset Church closed, no electricity. And immediately, I thought, how indicting is that statement? Think about it for a second. The churches were closed because they had no power. And as I sat there that, that, that evening, that Saturday evening, knowing that my church was closed as well the next day, I asked myself this question. Is my church closed because it has no power or because it has no electricity? And then God started working on my heart. And I started thinking about not my church, but my life. And I started asking myself the question, does my life exhibit power that is generated from within or power that is generated from God? Am I living on my own power or do I live in, live through the power of God? I'll tell you what, I could have crawled underneath the house, dug a hole, and buried myself right there. The conviction that hit my heart. Because the reality is, and, and if you're honest with yourself, you will agree, way too often we live within our own power. And our churches across our country operate within their own power. A church, I read this quote, uh, I read the statement recently. <clears throat> it says, a church without power is like an engine without gas. And as I started thinking about it, I thought an individual that does not experience the power of God in his or her life is like a ship that's adrift has no purpose, no meaning. We just kind of make our way through life and we, we, we go wherever the winds blow us and the circumstances of life take us and, and we struggle from, from situation to situation and we, we kind of meander our way through life without the power of God in our lives. One of the mistakes that we make is misinterpreting the power of God. What, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, let me explain it to you. Oftentimes, we can get so busy doing the work of God that we forget to serve the God of heaven. Amen. 
And on the surface, you think that's a ridiculous statement. How in the world can you, 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 you know, if you are serving God, then you, then you are experiencing the power of God. That's not true. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Is it possible? I'm going to read. The, I got two questions for you. Is it possible for a church to have a beautiful building, a large crowd, large offerings, everything that we would consider good for a church can can a church do that and accomplish little or nothing for the cause of Christ? Yes. Absolutely. Question number two. Is it possible for a person to serve the Lord by working in the nursery, ushering, uh, uh, committees, whatever, fill in the blank, even standing here and preaching a sermon and accomplish little or nothing for Christ? Absolutely it is. See, we misunderstand oftentimes the fact that <clears throat> busyness does not equal godliness. And we can be busy for God and, and, and do nothing for Him. Zechariah uh, is, is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, near the, near the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah, uh, <clears throat> don't, don't turn there, but Zechariah was... was uh, <clears throat> told by God to deliver a message to Zerubbabel, who was the king of Israel at the time. And trying to say Zechariah and Zerubbabel in the same sentence is tough. <clears throat> but he was reminded that he was, he was told by God to, rem to remind <laughs> see, there you go, Zerubbabel that the work of God must be done in the power of God. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. What is, what, what is Zechariah trying to communicate to Zerubbabel? No matter how good you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter. If we are going to accomplish anything for God, it is only going to be through His power and His Spirit. And that Saturday, as I sat there watching the television, all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but when I get convicted like that, everything kind of goes blank. And I could see nothing, I could hear nothing other than the, than the voice of God speaking to my heart. And I started to realize that I, at that point in my life, I was very, very busy for God. Very busy for God. I was in Bible college. I worked at the Bible college. I was a deacon in my church, and, I, and, and the list can go on and on and on and on and on, but I spent very little time with God, if that makes sense. God got a hold of my heart that day. A day that I hope I never forget. Let me ask you another question. This this is a statement I I I, I was thinking of as I was preparing the message this for this morning. Uh, uh, let, see if you would agree with this statement. Every aspect of a church needs to be bathed in prayer. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. Every aspect of the church. Okay. Then, if that is true, 
then you have to agree with the following statement as well. Every aspect of our lives needs the same attention in prayer. How much of your life is God not concerned about? (laughs) That's a trick question, isn't it? Because we will all stand and say, we'll, 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 we'll all make this statement, God is concerned about every aspect of my life. Would we not all agree with that? But how many of us hold back? We all do. There are certain things in our lives that we'll say, okay, God, you can have this portion of my life, but I'm keeping this half. Or this, you know, there was a time in my life where I gave God 90% of my life. There was one thing I refused to let go of. What do you think God said to me? Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. No, Rick, I won't at all. The title of my prayer this morning, my prayer, my sermon this morning is The Power of Prayer. The Power of Prayer. As we have been talking about being anchored in Christ, we have four different concepts of being anchored, the provision, the promises, the plan, <clears throat> and the peace of God. And I want, to, I want to visit this morning the provision of God. The, the provision is a, the definition of provision is a measure taken beforehand to deal with a need. In other words, uh, and we talked about this several weeks ago. But in other words, a provision is a forethought. It is something that you put in your life or God literally puts in our lives in eternity past knowing that we would need it in the future. Does that make sense? That's what a provision is. <clears throat> Prayer is one of those provisions. God knew in eternity past that we would need a power source. We would need a, a somehow to plug our lives in so that we could have the power necessary to muddle our way through this thing we call life. Corey Tenboom said this, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? I like that. Because for most people, prayer is our spare tire, but it needs to be our steering wheel. Way too often we wait until it's too late. In fact, I got another quote for you. This is an unknown source. I couldn't, I couldn't find out who, who, uh, who, who wrote this originally. But it says, <clears throat> if you only pray, excuse me, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Guess what? It's too late. But unfortunately, that's where most of us live. Jesus has an interesting conversation here in Luke chapter 11 with one of his disciples. The disciple is not is not named. We we can guess. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I I personally think it's it, the the disciple's not named for a reason. But let's look at Luke chapter 11 in verse 1. If you're using the Black Bibles, it's page 614. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass 
that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this incredibly important idea of prayer, the need for the the importance of prayer in our lives. Help us, dear God, to see you in our lives and, and understand that prayer is the very source of the power that we need. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Yeah. The other day, before Morris and Lynn <clears throat> Gleiser uh, hit the road for Wyoming, <clears throat> we were talking, and I don't even know how it came up, but <clears throat> he, he uh, Morris, ended up asking me what I was going to preach on this morning, and I said, well, as far, unless God changes my direction, we're going to be uh, talking about prayer. And uh, he said, well, he said, he said, praise the Lord. But then he said something that I had never thought of. He said, you know, the strange thing about prayer is that <clears throat> if, if there was a million dollars in that corner over there behind Sydney, and I, and I announced to the church, anybody who wants that money can go get it. What do you think you would do? I mean, you'd be jumping over and, I, I mean, you know, you'd be, it'd be a stampede, wouldn't it? But in reality, he says, he says, why is it that God has to command us to pray when in reality, prayer is worth far more than a million dollars? yet we don't do it. We would, we would jump over chairs. We would knock people down to get to a million dollars. But we have to be commanded to pray. He, 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 he looked at me. He says, I, I, I don't understand. And I, I, I thought, wow, you know what? I had never thought about that. But it's true. So this morning, as we as we look at this idea of the power of prayer, in 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 verse one of chapter eleven, I want to I want to talk about a few things. The first thing I want to talk about: who was John? Point number one: who was John? And it came to pass that as he was praying, that would be Jesus in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught, also taught his disciples. So who's John? Okay, it's John the Baptist. Okay, those of us that know, know the scriptures understand that that is John the Baptist. But the reality is there are many people in here who have no idea who John the Baptist is. And in fact, many of us, we may know who he is, but we don't 
know everything about him because he was uh, he he took a, a back seat if you would to the Lord Jesus Christ so let's talk about John for a little bit and find out who he was first off John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ what is a forerunner? That is an individual who goes out at before the, indivi- the, the individual and proclaims who's about to come. Okay? Uh, uh, in the old days, they would, they, would, they would be called the town criers in, in many cases. Uh, whenever a king would go into a, into a community or a city or a town or whatever, they would send out runners ahead to proclaim the king is coming. Okay? That's, that's who John was. In a, in, a, in a spiritual sense. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judah and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one who crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his paths straight. In John chapter 1, verses 25 to 29, it says, And they asked him and said unto him, uh, Why baptize thou, uh, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, uh, neither that prophet? Uh, <clears throat> when it, that the, re- the reference to that prophet, I believe, is talking about the Messiah. <clears throat> John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth uh, among you, uh, um, whom ye ye know not, he it is who cometh after me is preferred before me, whose shoes uh, shoes, uh, latches I am not worthy to unloose. Uh, These things were done in uh, Bethabra, excuse me, uh, uh, beyond Jordan, uh, where John was baptized, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh, the sin, uh, taketh away the sins of the world. See, that's what the forerunner did. He, he did. John went before Jesus and proclaimed, The Messiah is coming. I am not the Messiah. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is the man whose who, who sandals I am not worthy to untie. That is what a forerunner does. Another thing about John the Baptist is he baptized Jesus. Okay, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, then cometh Jesus uh, from Galilee to Jordan unto John and uh, to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have, not, uh, I have need to be baptized of thee, uh, <clears throat> and thou cometh to me. And Jesus answered and, and uh, said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it uh, uh, becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and uh, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and uh, lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Not only that, but he was a prophet. He was a prophet. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, says, For for I say unto you, among those 
that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow, what an incredible statement. Were there not some incredible prophets in the Old Testament? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha. I mean, some of the greatest men that have ever lived. Yet Jesus Christ declared John the Baptist as being the greatest of all the prophets. Well, yeah, he was his cousin too. Okay, but he was also a martyr. Matthew chapter 14, uh, you can go and read it for time's sake. I won't, I won't, I won't do that. But uh, <clears throat> Herod the Tetrarch uh, uh, beheaded John because he, he dared to stand for truth. So let, let's, let's kind of bring this guy into a nutshell here. Okay, he was the forerunner of Christ. He, he baptized Jesus. So in other words, he had great recognition. He was a prophet or we would call a, a preacher today. Uh, he was martyred, but I find it interesting. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, what characteristic did Jesus' disciple desire to em emulate? His prayer life. He did not go to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, now that you're done praying, I want to be a great preacher like John the Baptist. I want the recognition that John the Baptist had when he baptized you. I want that recognition. He didn't say, he didn't pick any of that. What did he say? He wanted to learn how to pray like John. I believe it is because that disciple understood that John knew how to plug into the power source. It was John's prayer life that this disciple wanted to emulate. What an incredible thought. What an incredible thought. As I was thinking about this, the convicting thought came to my life, into my heart. If somebody wanted to copy a Christ-like characteristic in my life, what would it be? I don't know. I hope and I pray that my life would emulate Christ, that it would draw people to Christ. But as believers, we need to learn how to plug into that power source. Prayer is so important. Number two, we so we see who John was. Now let's look. He his prayer was different. His prayer was different. Let's let's read verse one again. And it came to pass <clears throat> that as he was praying in a certain place, uh, when he uh, ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. The first thing I want to bring out here is that he. Excuse me. Jesus' prayer started with a certain place. Understand that. It's important. A certain place. See, Jesus had a habit of, 
of going to a certain place to pray. And this is important as, as, as this point is developed. But in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And when he had uh, sent away the multitude, <clears throat> he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So Jesus had a habit when he prayed to go to a certain place that was private. A war room. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, and that, that means it was still dark, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. See, now, <clears throat> we don't know where Jesus was. Now, the way I read this, and I can only interpret it the way I read it, it the way I read it, the only two people at, in verse 11, or excuse me, verse 1, chapter 11, is the disciple in Jesus. I don't know. He could have been in a room of 500 people. I don't know. But knowing the characteristic of Jesus when he prayed, he would go to a certain place. He would go to a private place and he would pray there. And the fact that there was only one disciple engaging Jesus tells me that it was just Jesus and one other person. Probably Jesus' most famous place of prayer was in the Garden of Gethsemane in, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus unto them, unto a place called Gethsemane, <clears throat> and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. See, Jesus took his disciples, but he said, You know what? You stay here. I'm going to go up where I can pray in private. And it was there that Jesus sweat blood, sweat blood for you and for me because he knew what was about to happen on the cross. It was in the privacy of prayer that God got a hold of his heart. And Jesus, Jesus was so burdened for mankind that he sweat drops of blood for you and for me. But it happened in a certain place. Jesus tells you and I to find that certain place as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, <clears throat> pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. Let's see, the, the certain place. He's not telling you to go literally sit among your clothes and your, your dirty shoes and all that and pray in your closet. That's not what he's talking about. He's telling you to find a place that's quiet. Find a place where you can get alone with God. It started with a certain place, and it ends with a method, and that method is closeness. See, you have to understand what was happening during the time that, that the, the, the New Testament primarily was written. Prayer had become something that God had not intended it to become. It had become a public spectacle. And, and, and so <clears throat> the disciples were seeing John the Baptist and they were seeing Jesus and, and their prayer life was so radically different from, from the rabbis and the, and the religious crowd. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not uh, be as the hypocrites are, 
for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the, on the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they uh, think that they have that they shall be heard of their much speaking. What is what is Jesus trying to say here? <clears throat> in other words, in 21st century vernacular, what would Jesus be saying to us? You need to rethink how you pray. See, the common the common way was to stand on street corners and the, the Pharisees would stand on street corners and they would pray these elaborate prayers and everybody passing by would go, wow, wow, l- listen to him pray. But it was all for show. And Jesus says, you know what? That's empty and hollow. Don't do that. Go to your closet and pray. That's what prayer is. There's an intimacy that John and Jesus exhibited, and the disciples wanted to get a hold of that. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise or a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. That's what prayer is. I often get asked, especially with new believers, they'll ask me, well, what do I say to God? What what, what do I say? You know, here, here I am, just a little nothing person, and, you know, you want me to talk to God, what do I say? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have another question for you. Do you find it interesting, at least I did, do you find it interesting that Jesus' disciple comes to Jesus and says, John's disciples taught him how to pray. Why haven't you taught us how to pray? Have you ever thought about that? I thought about that and I thought, well, it makes perfect sense. Why? Because what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God as though you're talking to a very dear friend or parent or somebody very close. So when you pray, what are you doing? You're 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 communicating from your heart to his. So, let's let's put it in perspective here. He was right there. So, in other words, the reason why Jesus never taught his disciples how to pray is because he was talking with them every day. God in the flesh was talking with his disciples every day. They didn't need to pray. They just needed to talk to him. So how, how do we pray? What do we say? You, you approach God the same way you would approach a dear friend. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the Christ Jesus. 
So when the disciples were talking, literally talking to Jesus, what were they doing? In essence, it was a form of prayer, was it not? They didn't realize it, but it was. That's why Jesus never had to teach them how to pray. See, and we, well, I, I'll get ahead of myself. Let's, let's look at point number three very quickly. <clears throat> not only uh, have we seen who, who John was, we saw that, that his prayer was different. And then number three, he wanted to pray like Jesus. He wanted to pray like Jesus. Again, let's look at verse one. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he seized one of his disciples, said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. In other words, he wanted to learn the secret to the power. He wanted to learn how to communicate to God. Now, again, we don't know. My assumption is that he was close enough to hear Jesus' prayer. That is my assumption. Do not know. But can you imagine the conversation that Jesus would have with the Father? Well, I, I, I can't imagine what he would say, but I would, I would assume that it would be a very affectionate communication. And I can't help but wonder that that disciple, knowing the, the reputation of John, and hearing what Jesus had just said, or at least the tone in which it was said, said, Jesus has it. John has it. I want it to. Teach me how to have that kind of power. Teach me how to have that kind of a relationship with an almighty God. Teach me. <clears throat> I've shared what I'm about to say. I've shared before, but that's okay. When I was first saved, God brought two people into my life. And their names are not important because it, it, it's just not important. But I remember <clears throat> right after I was saved, I, I couldn't have been saved more than, more than a week or two sitting in church, and the pastor asked a young man who was about my age, and after, later I found out he's about three or four years older than me. But he asked a, he asked a young man in the church <clears throat> to close in prayer. And this is a big church, okay? This is probably three, 400 people. And, well, it's a big church to me. <laughs> in today's numbers, it, you know, anyway. But, you know, there's three, 400 people, and, he's, and, he, and the pastor at the end of the service looks down at this young man and says, Will you close our service in prayer? And this guy started praying. And I thought, okay, you got to understand, I'd only been saved for a week or two, probably my second, maybe maybe third time even in church period. And this young man about my age stands up and he prays a prayer that would make the King James Version Bible look pathetic. I mean, he used $15 words that I had never heard, couldn't even repeat. And the, and the these and the thous and the... And I sat there, and the longer he prayed, the worse I felt. 
And I thought, there is no way on God's green earth that I could ever pray like that. And to be perfectly honest, at that point, I quit praying. Because I thought in my head that if I didn't talk like that, then God wouldn't listen to me. About two months later, I was at a friend's house. Again, about my age. And we were sitting around his dining room table. He, He was single, I was single. And we were getting ready to eat. And he said, Rick, he said, let's pray for our food. And he started praying. And I'm t- I, I am not exaggerating when I say this. He started praying for the food and he started praying for me and he started praying for us. I mean, you know, for me, when I pray for my food, it's okay, amen, let's eat, okay? I, I'm just saying, you know, I, I thank God for our food. and But I, I don't, but he was just going on and on and on. And I sat there and I lit. he was talking to God. And I sat there and I thought, wait a minute. Who is he talking to? It, he was, he, the way he was praying is though he was talking to me. But he wasn't, he was praying. And I literally picked my head up and opened my eye because there were only, three, we, were, we were really poor. Um, we only had three, table, three chairs at the table. And I picked my head up and I opened my eye and I looked in the chair to make sure that there was somebody else not sitting there. And when he said amen, I said, that's how I want to learn how to pray. That's how I need to pray. And I asked him then, I said, will you teach me to pray? And he basically just told me, just talk to God. Just talk to God. I wanted... I wanted that power. I wanted that relationship with God. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, Jesus painted a wonderful word picture for us. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, it says, and, uh, Two men went up uh, into the temple to pray, uh, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as as this publican. I fast twice in in the week. I give, excuse me, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, when he went down to his house, was justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What was what was Jesus trying to tell us? Jesus says, okay, let's let's see... 
<clears throat> let, let's let's go to this parable. I'm going to share a parable, and he gives the example of a of a religious man who stands up in this flowery prayer, all these fancy words. He says, "I am so glad I'm not like him, but I'm so good. I tithe and I and I do this and I do that, and oh look at me." And then the other guy stands over here and he says, "Oh God, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner." That's all he says. And Jesus looks at him and he says, this man is justified because he's a show-off. He's a nothing. He got his reward. But this man was broken. And I'm here to tell you, there have been times in my life that my prayer, the entire prayer that I have prayed has been, God help. That's it. That's all I've been able to get out. F.B. Meyer has wrote this. The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. The Lord is far from the, the, the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Here we are on the tail end of revival. Many of us sitting here this morning made decisions, life-changing decisions during the revival. My question to you is, what's your prayer life look like? We can we can pray and we can or, or we can come and hear messages like we heard last week and God can get a hold of our hearts. But if we're not on our knees praying and asking God to intervene on our behalf, guess what? We've unplugged ourselves from the source. Amen. Picture picture yourself sitting there in my living room watching the news that night on a Saturday. Church, such and such church closed, no power. Sunset Church closed, no power. Sunset Church closed, no power. Rick Lynn closed, no power. See, the, re- the problem is we go through a revival and God speaks to our hearts and we make decisions, but we forget to plug into the power source. And if we are going to be able to do anything for God, we need to be plugged into the power source. Here we see an incredibly simple verse, but very impactful. Let's read this verse in closing. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he he seized one of his disciples, well, let's put it this way, when he seized, Rick said unto him, Lord, teach me to pray as John has taught his disciples. Jesus, teach me to pray. Help me, dear God. It is that power source that each and every single one of us needs. 
And I personally believe the reason he is unidentified here is because we can't point a finger at any one of his disciples and say, ha, ha, ha. But in reality, each of us could plug our own names in right here. Because the reality is none of us pray like we should. What's your life look like this morning? Let, 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 me, let me rephrase that. What does your power look like this morning? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives.